We stay together, we survive. What we've got here is failure to communicate. To communicate. Stick together. In the name of unit cohesion. Cohesion. You are listening to the Cohesion Podcast. Actionable tips from internal comms leaders on how to improve your company's employee experience. This episode features an interview with Jill Stracco, Director of Global Executive and Internal Communications at Uber. Jill's impressive career spans from Washington, D.C. all the way to Silicon Valley. Jill led President Barack Obama's writing team in the White House and also served as senior legislative correspondent to Senator Joe Biden. On this episode, Jill sits down with Amanda to discuss her three principles of internal communications, informing and inspiring, connecting the dots, and exclusivity. They also discuss keeping PR and internal comms aligned and their love for the Oxford comma. Before we dive into the interview, here's a brief word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Simpler, the modern intranet software that simplifies the employee experience. If you are looking to increase employee engagement, collaboration, and connectivity, Simpler is your answer. Learn more at simpler.com. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation between Jill Stracco, Director of Global Executive and Internal Communications, and your host, Amanda Berry, Corporate Brand and Communications Manager at Simpler. So Jill, how are you today? I am great. It's Friday. It's a beautiful day. Love it. Yeah, things are good. Well, thank you so much for joining me today um, and our listeners. I want to start with your background. It's super impressive. You started in politics as working for then-Senator Joe Biden's, and then you became head of President Barack Obama's writing department. So what inspired you to get into communications? Well, I think writing has been the thread that connected all my jobs, and it wasn't super obvious to me until a couple years ago. And someone said, you know, oh, like, you've always been a writer. And like, I kind of stopped and was like, no. And then I realized that like writing has been the thing that um, has been consistent in every single job that I've had. And you have to be a good writer to be a good communicator, because that's the, the foundation for everything that we do. And so I mean, to answer your question, like, I don't think there was ever anything that made me want to get into communications, but I enjoyed everything about it. And the jobs just kind of like that path just kind of came along. And it was, you know, the everyone's career path is not linear. So yeah, like every job that I've had has had writing and communications in it. And every job that I will have probably will do that too. It sounds like such a difference to be from President Barack Obama's, you know, the head of, of his writing department to now your current role of director of global executive and internal communications at Uber. Can you talk about what you do now? Yes. Well, and I'll say that like it was absolutely a transition going from government to tech, you know, going from a BlackBerry to an iPhone or an Android to, um, you know, a, a PC to a Mac. When I was in government, we had gateway computers. Do you remember those? Like the cow box? Like I do remember ga- the cow yes. box. I was going to say, yeah, the, the black and white. Mm-hmm. That's what we had in, <laughs> in, in government. And I was like, wow, this is... Um, the computer was like so old that you thought it was going to like take off eventually. <laughs> the loud fan and, on the inside. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so it was a big transition. But anyway, yeah. So it kind of like led me to my career today. So 
I'm responsible for communications that, and my team is responsible for communications that go to all employees at the company, full-time employees. And we have a global team. We're scrappy as, as many internal communications teams are. And yeah, we, we manage the channels and you know, in, in terms of sort of how I just personally think about internal communications, there's a couple of principles. The first is informing and inspiring, making sure that employees understand what's going on because it's easier to do your job if you understand how decisions are being made. And then inspiring, you really want people to always be reminded of why they came to work at this company and why it's amazing. So always trying to find those stories that remind people of that and like show the innovation that's happening around the company, the cool stuff that's happening. The second is connecting the dots. I feel like it's really important that as internal communicators and then also leader and helping leaders, making sure that you remind people how their day-to-day work fits into the company strategy and the priorities for the year and the company mission and values. So that's our responsibility. It's leaders' responsibility. It's our responsibility to help leaders remind employees of that. And then the final thing is exclusivity, right? Like our work should not be just a regurgitation of something that's put out externally, like on a blog post or in, in a news story. And, you know, internal communications is different and should be different from external communications. And I like to think of it as, you know, our work, you should get this information because you work at this company and you're getting the inside scoop, the behind the curtain view, the story behind the story. So we always try to look for that. And like, I I always find it interesting. Like I've heard, you know, friends at other companies say that like, oh, hey, everybody, like, you know, read this story that we put out today. And it's like such a shame when that happens because there's so much, interesting work that's happening behind the scenes that you can really share with employees to to make them feel like they're special and getting that um, that behind the scenes view. I want to take a pause on that because I want to come back to some of that, but I want to move into our first segment, story time. Welcome to story time. Story time. Story time. Let me tell you a story. You, you just talked about um, connecting employees, inspiring and informing employees. And, and the way to do that, the way to inspire them is to connect them to our mission, to your mission statement. Uber's arguably one of the most recognized name in the world. So that, that's an incredible feat in of itself. But Uber, you, you were part of the team that helped execute and rebrand Uber's mission statement. It's such a big company, 20 plus thousand employees. I'm curious how you rolled that out and made sure employees were aligned to that internally. And then how you worked across the stakeholder groups to make all of that happen. Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely a team effort and, you know, huge props to our marketing and culture and HR teams who really, you know, did so much of the work to kind of figure out what the words should be because every word has to be really carefully chosen when there's only a couple of them together to form a mission statement. But I know that like, you know, whenever you're working on a mission statement, you have to think about what's going to make this unique to your company. Like if it were, you know, your mission statement on another company, it shouldn't work, right? Like it has to be unique to like who you are and the employees that you hire and what you're trying to do. It should be kind of that statement of like who you are and and what you do in the world. Um, And so, you know, like you have to like, like I said, the, the marketing team did amazing things because it was an external and an internal moment. And we did an all hands that rolled it out. And we also rolled out our new company values at the same time. And that work was really cool because we were able to look at each of the values and think of like, what's the work 
that represents that value and then find people, a diverse set of people who are excellent storytellers who can then talk about like what that value is and what it means and some work that kind of can transcend time because you also don't want some of the work you do on mission statements or values to be only representative of a certain time, right? Like you want it to kind of like last through the years. Comes down to like tactical things like, you know, like our marketing team and our creative team put together different Zoom backgrounds and like little infographics that uh, like moving images that are on our like conference room screens and making it environmental and aesthetic instead of just like something that we kind of put in the communications. It kind of has to be everywhere because if it's environmental, then it can kind of blend into um, your day to day. And then, you know, it becomes part of your your every day without even knowing it. And I think that's also like a way, like, especially in uh, the remote world and the pandemic life, the way to kind of like connect what you do to like the company that you work for is doing little things like, is there a Zoom background that I can use that I can like kind of show up and, and represent? And then you look, you're on a Zoom meeting and everyone has a different background. That's like a different company value or the mission statement. And that just kind of makes it real. Yeah. I keep thinking of something you said back there. It just, it really touches on like a lot of key components of internal comms, right? You had at an all hands, new values. You found people who do work that could represent each of those values in a diverse way. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I, that's really key to a lot of, I mean, when I think of internal comms, keep people into that. What, why are we doing this? And just right. constantly using the mission and the values to show the value of the work that everyone's doing. I think that that's so important. Yeah. I would be remiss if I didn't ask this or ask you to, I want to propose this. You said, you know, when you choose every word in a mission statement, that's key. And you know, that's absolutely true. And as a writer, I know that you can probably sit down and just, you know, lament over a single word and well, it needs this. Uh, but I also want to talk about punctuation. I know you're a big fan of the Oxford <laughs> comma. Yes, I am. And, um, I have very strong feelings of the Oxford comma. I love it. I love using it. I once worked for a place that wouldn't allow us to use it. And even to this day, when I use it, I, every time I put it in there, I just, it's like relief. It, it's comforting. Right. What, I just, I have to ask because it's, I, I think this is great. You don't see me people who have such strong feelings like I do about the Oxford comma. Yeah. So what do you say to people who don't like the Oxford comma? Well, I mean, you always have to be diplomatic when you strongly disagree with someone. So <laughs> it's even tougher when you're like writing for someone and you see them take it out. But I don't know. I feel like I, I, I don't know. I love it. Some people feel like it's not necessary and it kind of crowds the page. I feel like it brings a lot of clarity to everything that you write. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I feel as strongly uh, about the Oxford comments I do about Nintendo 64 and thinking that it's the best version of the gaming system the company created. <laughs> Child of the 80s and 90s, what can I say? But yeah, no, Oxford comma is the way to go. And if you don't use it, then you're risking people misinterpreting what you write. So that's right. That's very possible. Yeah. Just, just to come that Nintendo, Nintendo, Nintendo 64. Yeah. They make new ones where all the games are on them. What? My husband and I bought one. Yes, like you can buy like like it's just it's a one piece box and it's got like thirty games on it. And we bought wireless uh, control, so we'll just like lay in bed and play it like uh, Doctor Mario. Oh my god, I might have to buy that right after this. (laughs) Just take a look. Yeah, we're gonna move into our next segment called getting tactical. I'm trying to figure out tactics, and to be perfectly honest, I didn't have to worry about tactics too much. Here I am in charge and trying to say, why did you sleep through tactics? Tactics. Tactics. You've built internal comms functions from scratch. 
Can you take us through some of the key components of that when you're building, you know, building a global program from the ground up? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing that I think is important to do, especially if you're building something from the ground up, is to run an audit, right? I think like, you know, you you hear about companies doing annual culture surveys, and I think that's equally as important, but it's also important to do focused surveys every year or every six months on what do people feel is going well with internal communications. And so I think that's like a good place to start, right? So it's just like a simple survey of, you know, what do you want to hear more about? Like, what leaders do you want to hear more from? What channels do you get most of your information? And then what channels would you prefer to get your information from? And what is the, like, how would you rate the effectiveness of those channels? I think a lot of companies, they over rely on their intranet, right? And that can be like a, a source of truth, but I find intranets can be, I don't know, like they can be a repository and a knowledge base and they have their purpose, but you also need ways for people to interact and to have like a destination. So like we use Slack and it's incredible. So anyway, like the audit can kind of help you understand where to focus first. So you're not boiling the ocean. And then really being able to assess like, okay, like looking at the main channels that we have and the places where we can help employees get that information, where can we improve things, and then so after you kind of understand the, the lay of the land, like what are the what are the basics that you can really nail and get those right and then improve the basics, right? So you like, so for example, your global all hands, what's the frequency? Like, does it work? Like, do people want it more often? You know, now in the pandemic, like everyone is sitting in front of their computers all day and maybe a 60 minute all hands every week doesn't work. And maybe you need to mix it up and make it less frequent and shorter or more frequent and shorter so that people aren't spending so much time, you know, among other things that they're doing all day. Another thing that I think is really important when you're starting the function is creating like what I like to call a canary network. Like what's a group of people that you can rely on to give you feedback on communications that are going out, people who have been here for a while and really understand the culture, people who are new and have a fresh perspective, leaders, managers, like individual contributors, people all like around the world too, because like, I mean, huge props to international teams because like we all feel like it's so different now that everything's remote. Well, people who are in region have been like remote all the time, right? You're always connecting and building that culture over Zoom or over Google Hangouts. So, and then I think the final thing that's really important when you're building the function, especially at a company um, that maybe doesn't have internal comms, is to make sure that you're always working with PR. And if the, the PR team doesn't know how to work with you, help them understand like, you know, how to build that muscle. And, you know, like when you're putting a comms plan together, it should be a comms plan that has external and internal it shouldn't just be a PR plan. You know, I think like the comms team at Uber has always had really excellent instincts even before I got there. And so it was, it was an easy thing to fit into um, when I joined. And, you know, it's just been a really fun ride from there. Yeah, there's so much you said that, that that rings true to me. I know that canary network. I never, I've never called it that, but I always have these people in different departments that I could go to who, totally. who trusted me, yeah. and I trusted them, and and they would give it to me straight. You know, if they, they liked it, they didn't like it. Any real feelings they had, they they would always feel comfortable. I think that's such a valuable thing. Um, let me ask you about that PR team connection. We often talk about, you know, the, the, the importance of working, and you mentioned HR on your culture team. I would argue, you know, DE&I, if you've got a DE&I team, you know, culture too, that really needs to be another business partner on internal comms. 
Oh yeah. IT is another good one. But PR sometimes I know that from my own experience and from hearing even just talking to other people in the industry that sometimes PR can just sort of forget that you're there and not make a priority to work with internal comms. Do you have any suggestions on and how to overcome that or how to work past that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think like if you're new or if that's happening at your company, I think, you know, one thing that I think is really useful is to do like an internal comms roadshow where you help them understand what your team does. Even like putting a little presentation together and doing like going around to the different PR teams or the, the different regional teams and help them understand what your team does, the different channels that you can control, examples of where internal and external have worked together really well and like how that improved everything. So like, for example, if there is a, well, there's a couple examples where I think you can kind of showcase how things work really well. So the first is like, if you're having an external launch or an external announcement, being able to time something internally before the external announcement goes out. And that gets, goes back to that exclusivity thing where you're kind of giving people a preview or a sneak peek of what's coming. And that it, it's a virtuous cycle because then like the work that you're doing is getting the teams that the PR teams are working with excited, which is going to help that relationship. So it's mutually beneficial. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, the PR teams are always working with spokespeople, right? And internal communications can be a channel through which you're building a pipeline of spokespeople, right? So like if it's a global all hands or people that you're teeing up to be presenters, that presentation training that people are getting internally will benefit them when they're externally becoming spokespeople. And yes, there's like absolutely media, media training, which is great for them too. But, you know, look, understanding how to give like a really tight, crisp presentation internally to the company or to a team will pay off in spades externally as well. So like, I feel like there's so much that we can do, especially now that, you know, fortunately that everyone is focused on diversity around the world in getting spokespeople out there and particularly in tech, we can help with that. So I think like having that kind of roadshow where you're giving examples of how you work together is really helpful. And then like, I think always like making it specific, right? Like you should come to us when you think people are going to, it, it, it might surprise people internally, or you think there will be a lot of questions and, you know, showing how the different teams can work together is, is always something that will help make it real for them. Yeah. You know, thinking about how we're working together. I'm very interested because, you know, you've been at Uber for a while. You worked at Google, worked in the White House. We, we've sort of established that. But just very curious, so, you know, when you think about pre-pandemic to where we are now and just trying to keep employees aligned and engaged in the digital employee experience, you know, <laughs> you know, you might be in a meeting with someone and you hear their dogs barking or yeah. <laughs> Monday, you know, some earlier this week, my electricity went off. I didn't, I couldn't log in. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a part of this more, this digital experience, this human experience that now we're all involved in. It's wildly different when we used to go to work and you had everyone's sort of undivided attention. And now you're competing with children home or pets or, you know, whatever it is. And I wonder if you just have any thoughts on how you've been successful on keeping employees aligned and engaged in this new digital remote experience? I mean, I guess it's not new, but it's new for a lot of people. It's new for a lot of people. Obviously, there have been a, a lot of hardships that have come from the pandemic. And I think, you know, internal communications is one of the good things, I guess, that came out of the pandemic is internal comms is now mainstream. When I started in internal communications, I mean, when I, when I came from politics and, and moved into tech, 
I didn't know what it was. I knew it was working with executives and, you know, I had that experience, but I didn't know what internal comms was. I didn't know what project management was, which is a lot of what we do. And, you know, comms teams at a company used to mean PR. And now, you know, you see job openings for internal communicators at so many companies and that's amazing. So where it used to be this niche specialty, And, you know, people were thinking, okay, like, what do I do next? And like, I don't know if I can be in internal comms forever. Now you can, like, now you can really make a career out of internal comms. And that's incredible. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, I feel like we are now experiencing the biggest shift in work since, I don't know, the industrial revolution, or I don't know if it goes back that far. But I mean, I feel like people in internal communications and HR in particular are, on the front lines of this. And whereas, you know, and you see this in the headlines, right? Like you have different CEOs coming out on different sides of like on all all places on the spectrum of like, oh, we need people in work and, you know, they're going to come back like right away. And then other people are like, okay, like our company's transitioning to be fully remote or you have the option for that and everything in between. So I think there's a huge opportunity to not only improve what internal communications means, but it's also an opportunity to really play, throw out the playbook, right? Like, and, and start from scratch again. Not everything can or should be solved by a one-hour all-hands, right? Like, in, in a world now where catching up with a friend still feels like a meeting, you really need to think differently about, okay, like, how can I mix things up? And, you know, yes, like a one-hour all-hands is great when you have people in an office together and you kind of, to your point, like, have undivided attention. But now you know, people are sitting on their computers like eight hours a day and home is work and work is home. So I think that there's an opportunity to really mix things up. So for example, you know, instead of doing like a one hour all hands every week, could you just, you know, make it 15 minutes every week or, you know, 30 minutes where maybe you, I I know a friend of mine at one company, they have an all hands every week but every other week is only content and every other week is only Q&A and it's 30 minutes, you know, and that's it. And then you're out the door and, you know, onto the next thing, which I think is really interesting. There's another, you know, other ways that you can engage people on Slack, right? Like instead of sending an email, can you make certain things like that your really important strategic stuff go over email and then other stuff that's maybe relevant, but not necessarily like as as urgent and and put that in slack or can you get your leaders instead of like waiting for an all hands and waiting for the next all hands like in the next week or so can you just have a leader record a five minute video about their reactions to something or a question that they're getting and send it out as like a little bite-sized nugget that people can listen to or even things like you know podcasting right like can you instead of like sending out only the video Can you send out the video and the audio so that people can listen to it like on a walk outside? So I feel like, you know, I think it's always, it's always interesting when you go through a shift in an industry like this, but I also think it forces us to be more creative and to think differently about your work and force change where it might not have been before. And I also think that like, you know, part of the challenge is really working with executives who are used to operating in a certain way too, but like being able to show them the benefit of doing things differently and showing how maybe engagement is higher instead of people just like having to wait for an all hands is always a benefit too. Yeah. I, when I, you know, you sort of, you know, we have to throw out the playbook. I, to me, this is, I mean, you know, pandemic aside, this is one of the most incredibly 
interesting things to watch, you know, being an in internal comms and, and, you know, it sounds like you feel the same way that we have to sort of change the entire paradigm of what we do. So when you throw out the playbook and you got to really think about what's going to be the best for employees, you know, and you can't just say, well, we used to, we used to just bring everyone and do it this way. So now we'll just do it the same way over Zoom. It's exactly what you said. You have to really rethink about how, what's, what's the best for employees. Because <laughs> you said sitting down with your friends feels like a meeting because you're on Zoom all the time. We're on, you know, video all the time. You know, when I, when my friends want to meet over Zoom, I'm, I say, I can't, I've been on Zoom for <laughs> 40, 40 hours a week. Right. And you have to yeah. think about things that work differently. Yep. Um, so I think that that's such a great call out. I just want to get that out there. Yeah. One thing that I did, I mean, it was like sort of a pandemic purchase. Like a lot of people have done. I already had a Peloton bike but I got a Peloton treadmill and I got one of those trays that you can like have your laptop on. So like if I'm watching an all hands or in a meeting where I'm listening and not necessarily participating, I'm walking and getting some movement. But I like, if I have to like jump off and like, you know, do something or like make a call or, you know, I can't walk when I'm like typing intently, I like move over to my desk. But, you know, I encourage like, you know, everybody, not just the internal communicators to like figure out ways that you can move throughout the day and like keep yourself sane. That's funny. I was looking for something like that. Uh, I was I was actually on Amazon looking at like different kinds of like stair machines or ellipticals where you could put a computer. So even if you are in a meeting, yeah, like you said, you can just mute and listen and and be there. Yeah, I'll have to look at the that verb the the one the Peloton. Yeah, I'll send you um I'll send you a couple links of like things that I recommend because I actually had one. It was like a, a treadmill desk. And then I ended up transitioning to the Peloton where I just put a tray over top. So I will give you my recommendation. Okay. I would appreciate that. I think the, the key takeaway is if, you know, being at home, you got to take care of yourself. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You know, not, not leaving the house and, and finding ways to take, <laughs> never leaving the house and finding ways to I know. stay mentally and physically healthy. Yes. I feel like sometimes I feel like Gollum from like Lord of the Rings. I'm like, I haven't been outside in like three days. Like, I haven't showered in two weeks. <laughs> I haven't seen daylight. So I don't know. I feel like it, you have to do that for your own sanity. You do. I, I feel like we all went through similar like stages of the pandemic. <laughs> it's very much grief. And now we're all sort of in acceptance, I guess, every chunk of us. Right. Um, I mean, it's like, I mean, getting back to your earlier point, like we're now like, um, normal is not like getting back to normal is not really what we used to think of as normal. Right. And so normal was like going into the office five days a week. Then the new normal was being remote all the time and dealing with a global pandemic. And now we're in this like new, new, new normal, I guess <laughs> we're like, we're transitioning into like hybrid work. And, yeah. you know, like now that we're dealing with the pandemic becoming an endemic and, you know, now, but, but I think like to our earlier discussion, right? Like we're, we're in this transition of, okay, now we have to like really think in ways people at a headquarters office, like, you know, you had the luxury of having people in the office and like in person maybe, but international teams, like kudos to them. Like, like I said earlier, like they have always had to think virtual and how do you, how do you build culture like internationally across across boundaries. And so now I feel like everyone who's in an HQ is in that same boat and they're thinking about, and they have to think about that too. So I, I don't know. I think that like looking at the glass half full side of things, like it, it's making us better at our job and having us think about employee engagement in new ways. And, you know, now I feel like people who might've only been, you know, a bit myopic and thinking about the experience in the office 
now they're thinking about, okay, how can we be more creative and think about how we can engage people like over Zoom and virtually and, and thinking about that experience in a more holistic way. So I don't know. I try to think about it in a creative and like a positive way. No, I love that. Have you thought about, and I don't know if you're back in the office much or, you know, if Uber employees are back in the, you know, the headquarter office, but have you thought about like what that experience is going to be like? So we're talking about people who can come into the office, can see the CEO, can participate live. You know, there's an energy to that. There can be an excitement that generate. And then, and then you're going to have people who will never really be able to do that. So, you know, when I worked at a company where 97% of the employees were at headquarters and 3%, well, we would just book a, like a, like a WebEx meeting and they could, they could sort of listen, but their experience wasn't great. That employee experience wasn't great at all. But now we have the almost, we could have a 50, 50 split and what that's going to be like for, let's say we keep talking about all hands. So I'd want to come back to that. When you, when you design an all hands, what that's, what's that going to look like when you have people in the office for, let's say for like a kickoff versus you have people sitting at home who can't really be there. Have you thought much about that and how you might begin to creatively work on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's, yeah, there, there are so many, yeah, there, there's a lot of angles to that. And especially when you work at a global company, you tend to hear feedback of like, oh, this feels very like HQ centric and it, you know, oh, I didn't see any international people like presenting, which is totally fair. So I think you like in general, you have to think of when you're sending something out globally, is it globally relevant or applicable? Like if you're launching something in the US, but it's going to go international soon, that's globally applicable because people should see what's coming down the pike and they want to feel connected to like some of the big stuff that's happening. But, you know, if, if that's not the case and it's maybe local, then you have to think about audiences and maybe, and that's where I think like our judgment can come into play where you can think about like, how do I, you know, how can I target an audience of like, people who need to know, and then maybe like, you know, select a few leaders who should know about this so that they can, you know, be aware of it if they, if they have a global team that's like in a certain market. Um, but I also think that, you know, like we always think about prison in that entire content segment was a leader in a different office around the world. So we, we specifically picked people where, and again, at the time, like people were in the office with that leader, but we were very thoughtful about like, where can we get people around the world so that people in big offices or, or even small offices can feel like they're part of it. But then I also think that, you know, like, I think it's nice to think about engagement in different ways too. So, you know, for example, like on Zoom, you have this option where even if it's not having people unmute and ask questions, you can enable Zoom chat. And you can have leaders react to things that people are popping up or questions that are coming up. Someone on my team had an amazing idea the other uh, the other day, and, and this is kind of like an example of throwing at the playbook and thinking about all hands differently. They were like, you know, after a while, I think like, you know, internal communicators have to think about how can we present strategy and content in a way that doesn't feel rote? Because if you do it the same way all the time, then not only do employees get tired of it, but you get tired of it too. So the person on my team was like, look, you know, what if we had five different topics? We didn't prepare any presentations, but we told employees that there were going to be five different topics and everyone starts out in the same Zoom. And then you can pick, you can go into breakouts, which is a feature that you can do, but you go into breakouts with a different leader who's going to talk about that topic and maybe like share some thoughts off the top of their head. 
but then it can be a discussion and people can ask questions and you, you know, you can like engage with employees in different ways, but then, you know, we record each of those breakouts and then make those breakouts recordings available to everybody. So you can go back and see like what you might've missed if you picked one breakout over another. So I don't know, like, I think that's something worth trying. And it's just an example of like ways that you can engage employees differently and not just like, you know, conventional ways. Yeah, no, that's a great example. I'm, I might, I might, I might use yeah, that one. <laughs> that's a really great example of just really thinking about it differently. Really, honestly, thank you for sharing that. Totally. Um, I want to move into our last segment, asking for a friend. Who's asking for a friend? Hey, asking for a friend. What advice you you again? You have an amazing career. So, what advice would you give someone who's just starting out in internal comms? So, the best piece of advice that I ever got in my career was from I, I was like going on a, a walking one on one with someone, and this is when I was at Google, and he said he's like, "You've only been here for like two months," and he had been here there for like six years, and he was like, "My best piece of advice is to stay flexible and have a sense of humor." And I feel like that's so true. I mean, it's true for everybody, but especially for internal communicators where like things can change on a dime and you have to pivot and you have to be comfortable with ambiguity and figure out how to make progress. So, um, and also just not taking things too seriously where, you know, if something like changes radically, you can't get totally thrown off with that. By that, you have to kind of be be flexible and and not, you know, just kind of like laugh it off if something happens. Another thing is internal comms is so much about helping people find a sense of purpose in their work. And I think that's like, I mean, this is like me as a millennial, what some might call a geriatric millennials and every, I mean, but it's true for everybody. Like you really want to feel a sense of purpose in your work. So being able to understand what motivates people and, you know, being able to talk to different employees and understand why did you come here? What's interesting? Why do you love working here? And being able to show that through stories is, is so important. So just understanding what motivates people. And that can also help you in your work with executives too. And then finally, you know, you and I were, were talking earlier about sort of different executives having different styles in terms of how they like might edit something that you write or, or put in front of them. But I think it's important to also take pride in your work, but not take things personally if things change radically or someone blows it up. I mean, I feel like everyone in internal comms is an artist in a way in that they, you know, they really take pride in what they write. But I always tell and and give the advice to people to don't take things too personally. Like if someone like just destroys your writing, because like it'll make you better and you understand why they're making the changes. So I feel like I became, uh, I've become less precious about my work over time, which is something I recommend to others too. Yeah, those are great pieces of advice. The sense of humor is is a very critical. Uh, you got to be able to laugh through most days, honestly, and then the not taking it personally. And, and it's it going to be hard, right, to let stuff roll off and not take it personally. But that's honestly one of the best skills an internal comms person can have hands down. Totally. And I also think that like, I mean, not taking yourself too seriously in the work you do. And, and, um, and I think that that can translate into like, you know, I feel like everyone has seen like seen the same old slide decks and, you know, in, in all hands, but like what, instead of like, you know, a slide that has like a million words on it, what if you can just make the point by using a GIF or a GIF 
I know that there's this controversy over how that's pronounced too. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, like just like finding ways to like represent information and make a point and not just using the same like stock photo images, but doing it in a way that also doesn't make you seem like dated. If you use the, if you use something incorrectly, you have to be, you have to understand how, how memes. You have to be current what the kids are into these days. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I think another component that I would throw in there, just it's inspiring by what you said, is helping leaders recognize the good work people are doing. That's such a key component. So as we can lose sight of that, you know, we often know what's going on across the board and having having that yet ear towards we need to recognize or provide more employee recognition is is so critical. Absolutely. And I think like, you know, to that, I think one piece of guidance that I always give leaders is don't underestimate how much people value your perspective and what you do every day, right? Like you can kind of think that you're, you know, you're like leaders are steeped in strategy and they're in decision-making, but employees don't always have access to that. So figuring out ways to kind of like open the door to what might normally be a closed door meeting or having an executive even just like share what the meetings they were in or like what they're talking, who they're talking to and what like what stood out to them in certain meetings or even thinking about, you know, to your point, having every leader on a leadership team send an email to someone who did a great job that week, you know, or like someone who did an awesome presentation in a meeting like that can really amplify how someone feels about their work. And then, you know, good news spreads fast. So that can be a way that we can help leaders just like small things like low hanging fruit. I was doing some reading on recognition even pretty recently. And I know when I used to work for a leader and he would meet with his leadership team, they would talk about the good work and you know, humans doing them out of each of the departments. And then they would they would message each other's, Hey, I heard you did this. That impacts my and I'm so, you know, thank so thankful you did that. So that cross department, cross functional recognition is super important. Totally. Sometimes you can like you know, think about internal comms as kind of like a marketing campaign or like advertising, because you have to think about audiences. And so, for example, like, you know, people will often message your CEO or your leader and say, hey, can you come to this like team all hands? Or can you like pop into this meeting for 15 minutes? And usually like, you know, we're helping those executives and we're thinking about it in a reactive way. But can you think about it in a proactive way, right? Like, so can you look at like the landscape of all the teams across the company and figure out who hasn't the CEO or who hasn't that leader spoken to yet this year? Like, can you have them make, like have a touch point, like, you know, every six months or once a year at least, like with different teams. And then instead of um, only hearing from the CEO or your leader in like a global all hands setting where it's just like a, you know, tons of people, can you give that focused attention so the leader can talk to that team about how they are doing and the impact that they're having? Like that can be, that can have such a huge impact. And like, to your point about recognition, that's easy stuff. It's just like a, you know, like a a meeting that we can send someone into and have them recognize and that, that can go such a long way. Yeah, absolutely. That doesn't take a lot of research on how to do it. Like it's, it's already baked in, you know, we know how to recognize employees and helping leaders push them toward that is like you said, it's super easy and the impact is huge. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. We've seen the past two years and how that's just changed internal communications, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly of it. What do you think like one of the biggest challenges we can expect over the next five years in internal comms? 
I mean, I think engagement is one piece, especially as we think about like the hybrid world. I think employee engagement is going to be one. So really figuring out like, how can you make sure employees still feel connected, not just to the company and the leaders, but to each other. So, and that then gets into kind of what we were talking about earlier, which is like thinking about doing our jobs in different ways, right? I think like in many ways, like the last couple of years have been a gift. And I think if any year kind of proved the need for internal comms, it was 2020 and then 2021. But I think like, you know, we're going to have to constantly think about how can we do our jobs differently and creatively? How can we learn from other teams? Like what, what, what can we learn from like, from marketing folks and, and creative folks? And, and how can we bring in best practices from our colleagues and other departments and apply them to what we do? So I think I think those are the the main two things and and just you know always thinking about how you can how internal comms can be a differentiator in how your company operates and the value that companies or that employees see in in what they do every day. So I think we have a huge role to play like more so than a lot of other a lot of other functions which is really cool. It's a good place to be. Well let me let me ask you this. You have a great career you know, and there, there's always room for improvement. Everyone's constantly getting better at their jobs. What does that look like for you? Yes, I, so there are two things that I always try to do. The first is something that actually a, a former speechwriter told me once, which is because I was thinking about it, like, how can I, how can I improve my writing? Um, because I felt like I was kind of like just falling into a rut. And He said, the best way to improve your writing is to read other people's writing. I think like something that people tend to think about is or default to is like taking like a creative writing class and that might help for some people, but I feel like that kind of like, and and it will help you get into a different mindset. But um, personally, I look to longform.org, which is this amazing site, which is like an aggregator of different articles, like long form articles from like Vanity Fair or Rolling Stone or The Atlantic. And it gives you like the title, the author, how long it'll take you to read, and then a summary of what the article is about. And it's such a treasure trove of other people's writing. And so I feel like I've gotten better just by reading other people's great writing. Um, So that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, especially like during the pandemic, I started to tap into people who were doing internal comms at other companies. So like, especially when things were changing so fast and everyone was kind of figuring it out, we would meet like on a monthly basis and just say, Hey, like, how are things going at your company? Like, what are you doing differently? Or, you know, like to your question earlier, like, what are you doing to engage employees differently? And having that network of professionals and and growing your own personal network. Because I also feel like, it's kind of hard to do that. Like it, or it was a couple of years ago with internal communicators, like there wasn't that much of a network. Um, but now I'm fortunate that I know people at a lot of different companies and kind of go to them and bounce ideas off. So that would be the second thing, which is just trying to create a network of people who do work that you do at other companies and, and seeing if what they do would work for you too. That's awesome. That's great. I'm going to look at that long form. I felt, I felt that way, you know, when reading books, because you begin to see everything from um, punctuation, syntax. And it, I think you're, it's, it's like exercise where you get that muscle memory where your brain just starts to really pick up on it. So I'm, I'm actually going to look at that website. And it's also nice because like, I feel like those articles are something that you can sink your teeth into versus like something that you just get on like CNN or New York times where it's just like a two minute read or a 30 second read. Like these are like 20 minute, 15 minute articles that 
tell a story and take you on a journey. And it's just, it's incredible. So it, it's, yeah, definitely check it out. It, it's a great way to kind of like experience a lot of different genres and topics and in a, in a way that can kind of like, you can read it before bed or during lunch or something. I will, Jill. This has been so much fun. It's been such a pleasure talking to you, getting to know you, hearing about your career and getting some advice from you. Before I let you go today, is there anything you'd like to mention that we didn't cover? I would just say that, you know, for for all the internal communicators out there, hang in there. I know it's like it, our, our work is always challenging. And um, I feel like sometimes like, you know, internal communicators can be like unsung heroes where like we're doing so much work all the time. Um, and so, you know, like internal comms is so valued at Uber and like, I love the, the leaders that we work with, but just hang in there and, you know, keep up the great work and just keep talking to other people and, and getting better every day. Right. Well, thank you for joining me, Joel. This has been great. Yeah. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Cohesion Podcast, brought to you by Simpler, the modern internet software that simplifies the employee experience. Learn more about how Simpler can help you build the future of your employee experience at simpler.com. That's S-I-N-P-P-L-R.com. To all of our listeners out there, thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, make sure to hit subscribe, leave a review, and head over to www.simpler.com slash podcast for more information. Until next time, you're listening to the Cohesion Podcast, brought to you by Simpler. See you in the next episode.